the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 366 for Monday, November 21st, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips. We provide some answers, we provide some tips of our own, and together we all learn something new about the Mac and other fun Apple products. Here from Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut, John F. Braun. There he is, ladies and gentlemen, John F. Braun. He'll be here all week. Actually, he won't be here for uh, for two weeks. This is uh, this is the last show of November. We'll be back on December 5th. Thank you very much. Good night. No, we actually have to do the show in the middle, don't we? Uh Let's see. So we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, the one thing, one thing that I'm very excited about, John, on Friday, VMware released Fusion 4.1 for the Mac. And something ha- happened recently with previously, there was no way to run uh, Mac OS 10 inside of these virtualized environments. It was basically just for running Windows and Linux or other, other flavors of Unix. But with Lion, uh, the licensing changed and apple allowed people to virtualize lion and everybody sat and kind of wondered well okay but what does that mean about like snow leopard because there's a lot of us that want to be able to run snow leopard inside lion because rosetta is gone uh and so we can't run our old power pc apps or anything like that so uh on friday vmware took a step forward and they decided to kind of lift that restriction uh there's a little note in there and and it allows you to run Snow Leopard. And I've got uh, I, I installed Snow Leopard inside VMware 4.1 and then I installed Quicken and I'm running that on my Lion machine and it runs beautifully and it connects to the network and it you know it does all the things that you would expect. It just it just works. There's very little fanfare except for me because huh. I was really was this a technical or licensing or, or, or both? So it was and possibly still is a licensing um, mm. issue. I don't know. Uh, I think, I think VMware, um, I, I, my understanding or my assumption, and this is my assumption, I have not confirmed this with anyone at VMware, but my assumption is that they decided, well, if Apple's letting people do it with, uh, with lion, we're going to go ahead and, and leave the choice up to the people. And, and there is something when you choose to install another operating system, it says, make sure you've confirmed that the licensing, uh, allows you to run this in a virtualized environment. And then you just say, okay, and off it goes. So they have removed the technical limitation, but they do put something in that says, make sure you check your mm. license agreement, which, um, okay. which I didn't do. Uh, I just went ahead and ran it because I was really excited. So like everybody else is going to, but, uh, but yeah, it's great. I mean, it's awesome. It, it means that assuming it, it sticks. So I kind of am curious to see how this plays out over the next several weeks or, or month or so, because assuming it sticks, then it means I don't need to keep a snow leopard machine around. And that would be exciting. It's very exciting. So shall we move into our questions here, John? Indeed. Starting, starting with Sean. All right. Uh, let's see if we can find Sean here. Sean had an interesting question. Sean actually came to us on Skype and asked, uh, look, I've got, a box of about 4,000 emails and I want to print them all at once. Uh, certainly I can go from message to message and print, 
But if I highlight all the emails and choose print, the only one that shows up is the first one. And that would get very tedious. So I heard this and, and I started thinking, well, what else can we do with our mail? And, and I thought about mail steward, which is, a, it's actually a very cool program and, and it's not something I use uh, as part of my workflow, but a lot of people do. It imports all the mail from your uh, regular mail database and, uh, and allows you to search it in, in a lot of different ways and filter it and you can archive it. And it really is uh, kind of the power user's way of managing a, a very robust email archive. In fact, as I'm saying this and realizing that I have, you know, 15 years worth of email stored, it's probably really stupid that I'm not using mail steward. So I probably need to change that. But, um, but it certainly will. I checked with the author of mail steward and he said, yep, mail steward can print all or even selected emails in a research results list. Uh, he said the only caveat is if that the, if the email is HTML only without a plain text version also, then the header info is not printed, just the HTML body. So a little uh, idiosyncrasy there with, with some messages. But otherwise, yeah, it just goes ahead and, and prints them all for you. So I was, uh, I was really happy with that, John, because I, uh, I found a workaround for our, our, our friend uh, Scott. Uh, sorry, our friend Sean. And that's good, right? And it's good, but I got something even better, Dave. You did? You found involves... another, another utility to, uh, to fix this? Is that right? <laughs> no, I didn't. Really? And, and, and that may shock you. So, so this was actually based on a tip. Well, we did in both our, um, we actually discussed during our, uh, our last episode, which was uh, our, our premium episode, I believe. Okay. Which I, I don't know if now's a good time to talk about premium, which is uh, $25 for six months where you get two extra episodes and uh, access to the archives and that warm, fuzzy feeling, or, or should we save that for later? Uh, let's save that for later. <laughs> let's save that for later. <laughs> But we actually came up with the, so it was a tip that was offered to everyone in the last one, but I found this out, Dave. So, so this involves a fish shake, which I know people love, but the tip was that in multiple areas of the operating system, including mail, you can choose multiple items. Well, yeah, but, but when you do that, I mean, if I go into mail, right. And I, I go to mail and I choose, let's say three messages, but it, it lets me choose multiples. But if I go to file and print, it uh, here comes the preview. The preview is just the first message. Well, you know, I hate to break it to you, Dave. Yeah. But the preview shown in the print dialogue is a lie. Really? Because I okay. did the same thing. I thought, you know what? I'm going to highlight per our prior tip. Uh, and I did it both ways. You can either, of course, use shift to click on one item and another, and it will include everything. Or to use the command, apple, clover, whatever you want to call it, and choose destroy disjoint items. And I, I thought the same thing as you, Dave, when I tried Dude, to do this and I hit print. It works. I it saw, just printed three emails. Yes. Dude. And, and I did the same thing. So preview. So the print preview for this particular operation where you choose multiple emails in Apple's mail app is lying to you. Well, it's, it's so this is interesting because it put multiple. I, I pulled them into I told it to print into preview so that I wasn't actually printing, but it opened three. I, I highlighted three emails and, and did this. And it opened three separate documents and previews. So it's not coalescing the emails together, but it is iterating through and just print, 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 print for all the multiple emails. Huh. That's how that's what you'd want anyway. Well, you may not. And, and so I also so. So number one, again, the print dialogue, what it's showing you is not quite what happens, because as soon as I said print, I noticed 
uh, and when you say print, of course, your printer will pop up in the dock and you will see what is in the print queue. And as soon as I saw three separate items, when I selected three emails, right. I concluded, yes, it's a lie. Now, I also found um, an interesting little tip here. It's actually uh, quite a, uh, it's from a while back from Rob Griffiths. Oh, the founder uh, of Mac OS Ten Hints. Yes, and apparently he has a, a refinement to this, which we'll, of course, link to in the lovingly handcrafted show notes. But there's actually a way doing some automator magic. So I guess the only problem with this method is that it's going to do a page break or every email is going to start on a new page. Apparently sure. he he crafted a little thing that will um, I think it'll still work. I, I didn't actually try it, but he crafted a little, uh, I think, automator action that will actually coalesce them so that you're, you're not wasting uh, that, that I guess it'll make them run one into another, which you probably want to do if you're talking hundreds or thousands, maybe not if you're printing, you know, right. three or five or, right. or, or 10 if, or whatever. If you're uh, sending, say, maybe a thousand emails to uh, an attorney that requested them as part of a deposition, because you want to make it as difficult to scour through them as possible, <laughs> right? So you don't want to give them new headers at the top. You want the headers buried in the middle, right? That would be the right way to do it. Right. So I was, I was frankly shocked that, the the uh, preview the the print preview did not reflect what was actually happening. It, it was in part, but no, I'll I'll back it up. It's a I, lie. It lied. Yeah. So I as as we were talking here, I also went and uh, you know I highlighted the emails and I went to print, and then from the PDF menu I did save as PDF, and it asked me where I wanted to save it and what I wanted to call it. So I called it test email. And I actually got three PDFs there, test email, test email dash one and test email dash two. And of course, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's not saving them all as one PDF either. It's, it's, it's iterating through, but it's doing it individually per message. It's like you said, it's not just pulling them all into one. So yeah, that's, that's great. I think that's what Sean wanted though. So, uh, so that, that teaches us to not, to not believe our eyes. <laughs> which is which, which sucks is, again it's, it's a fish not, shake it's, it's disturbing uh, you know maybe maybe we should submit a bug because to me that's a bug the print dialogue should be smart enough to say and that's what i expected that's a, yeah. that's why i threw in the towel like you did I, yeah. I i selected multiple and i looked at preview and and it let me page through it and i said oh it's only showing me the first document this isn't going to work yeah i've accepted it as a truth for you then i took a then i took a leap of faith and uh and Dutifully, my printer printed out the three emails I selected. So awesome. I'm very happy with that result. So George has a George has a mail question too. George asks, how can I delete all the messages that are in the junk folder without opening them? Or if I open them, will the sender know that I have opened them? So what what George is worried about here is a lot of times in in junk email, um, what they do and actually not not even junk email uh, mailing lists that you get do this too. They like to know uh not only if you click actively click on the link inside the email, but but they also want to know if you even looked at the email. And so they they put the, the, the way to do this is you put a link inside the email. They put a, a pointer to an image or something that lives on a faraway server. And the pointer is very unique to that one individual message. And so they know if you if your email client requests that little image that there's this pointer pointing to, then that means that you've opened it. And that then verifies that you are who, you know, who you are, who they, or there's a valid email address at this other side. And, and it makes, you know, it keeps you in the spam list. So George's concern is warranted. Um, 
I've always done this and, and it's not perfect. I've always done it by doing a select all inside of my uh, junk folder and then deleting from there. But of course that doesn't help you with that first message. Cause you have to select one individually before you can do select all. Uh, if you store your uh, uh, junk mail on, on Google, or rather if you let Google manage your junk mail through Gmail, then you can actually go to the server side and delete things from there. Uh, it, right inside Gmail, you go into the spam folder and you say, uh, you know, delete all junk messages now. And, uh, and it will delete them without loading those images. But in the mail app, it will, I believe, load those images, even if even in the junk folder. Or is that is that not correct, John? Will it ignore? Because mail sometimes I've seen mail not load images in a message. And, and, it, and I think it is if it thinks it's junk, it won't load the images for exactly the reason that that George is talking about here. So I think I think select all and deleting them will, will help you out. I'm with you on that. So, so what these are called, uh, I think the common term for these are web bugs. Okay. And I think what they typically are is a one by one pixel image. Right. And like most modern email clients, in addition to loading text, if there is a graphical information, like a one by one image, which is kind of sneaky because you're probably not going to see it, uh, it'll load that too, which as you said, Dave, will, will indicate to the sender that the recipient uh, exists. Right. Um, one tool you may want to consider using um, is uh, my pal, which I, I love and you despise, Dave, or not despise, but uh, uh, it's been suggested to me that Little Snitch, which is a tool that will alert you to outgoing connections such as this, maybe a tool that you want to use, though, though it has been pointed out, can get tedious because anytime you, you try to open an email, and I, I think I actually threw in the towel. The, the thing is, anytime you get an email that has one of these and, and little snitch finds it, you're going to have to say, accept an I, blah, blah, blah. And I think I eventually gave up and just said, you know, accept any connection going to port 80, which is typically what they're doing. They're going to port 80 and they're loading a image off of a, a web server, I think is the typical way to do this. So just suggesting little snitch uh, could be a way for you to. Yeah. Heighten your awareness of when people are implementing this this trick. Um, I don't know if it's good or bad. Well, for spam, it's probably bad because then you'll get more. But, you know, I got to say, uh, um, uh, of the spam I've been getting as of late, Dave, I think more and more people, uh, people sending this stuff are honoring unsubscribe requests. In the past, it used to be, ah, you know, the, 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 if you do it, they're going to send you more. I don't know about your experience. My experience has been for, for the ones where I get repeated things that I don't want if I say unsubscribe and, and they uh, use a legitimate unsubscribe service, you will sure. not get stuff from them again. But I, yeah, there's always going to be these these uh, right. people that, that won't honor it no matter what you say. So Right. Yeah, a lot of them don't have unsubscribe links in them. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, I want to talk about our first sponsor for today, which is Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. And they've got a, a slightly new speaker out. They have the Audio Engine 5 Plus. Now, uh, this 5 Plus adds a couple of things to the already fantastic Audio Engine 5s. Uh, the Audio Engine 5 Plus, like the 5s, are uh, two separate enclosures, one for right, one for left. Inside the enclosures are two speakers each, a tweeter and a woofer, and then a little bass port. And uh, and the fives then go and add a remote control, uh, which is great. Obviously, you can control the volume from a distance as opposed to having to get up close. 
uh, they they add more audio inputs on the back, uh, and uh, so that you can connect uh, not just your mini eighth kind of headphone style jack input, but you can also do RCA inputs uh, and outputs. Although most models of the A5 have had RCA outputs for a while, uh, and uh, and they they come in this. Uh, I think you can get them a couple different ways, but. You can get them in this wood, you know, wood grained look, and uh, and they're they're really pretty. The uh, the A five pluses are three ninety nine a pair, but of course, you can use the Mac Geek Gab code of M G G T E N. That's M G G ten to get ten percent off. And like all the rest of Audio Engine speakers, you get the thirty day audition with these, which means that you buy them, you get them. Try them out. If within 30 days you decide, you know what? These aren't for me. Send them back. They'll give you all your money back. Uh, but my guess is you're not going to send them back. And, uh, and you know, we actually got an audio comment about audio engine speakers in a sort of tangential way. So I'm going to go ahead and play that, and, uh, and then we'll be right back. Hey, Jen. It's Andy from the University of New Hampshire uh, listening to the latest show. And um, in the audio engine ad uh, for the the A5s, uh, John mentioned how much he enjoyed seeing the cones move and how much air they moved when you uh, crank them up. And it just reminded me of a wonderful little saying uh, that I heard, I think, on a Home Theater Geeks podcast, which if you're into things geeky and audio and video is really excellent because they talk to real engineering type people and go really into technical detail. Um, but uh, they were talking to a speaker designer and a guy who'd been around a long time. And one of his mentors, uh, if I remember correctly, told him once, there is no replacement for displacement. Huh. And um, while one could argue about the, engineering truth of it i think that there is some and um it's a fun thing all right thanks andy that's awesome there is no replacement for displacement and the a5 certainly uh displace their share of uh our atmosphere is that the right way to say that john uh anyway audio engine is where you can find out more and place your order just make sure you use that coupon code mgg10 and save yourself 10 percent all right. Now, John, let's uh, it, we, we skipped talking about Lion in the last show, but uh, but I think it's time I want to I, I want to go through this one comment and then share some of what I'm seeing with Lion. And uh, and perhaps in the next two weeks, uh, we can all cogitate a little bit about this and, I, and we can discuss it a little bit today. But I think I think there's something solvable about some of these weird common problems that uh, that many of us are seeing on machines with Lion. So we'll let JP kick things off. Hey, John and Dave, this is JP from California. Uh, tearing my hair out over here. Hoping you guys can help me with this weirdness. Uh, brand new Mac Pro 12 core, 8 gigs of RAM, 7200 RPM hard drives. Top of the heap. Fresh install of Lion from the ground up. No migration, no Snow Leopard, nothing. Just right out of the box, wiped it, put Lion on, systematically reinstalled all of my apps, typed in all serial numbers, just took 
days. Uh, by the way, I've done this four times. Oh. Here's the problem. Unbelievably, this super speedy Mac has the spinning beach ball all the time. Don't understand it. I'll open a PDF. The program launches. I see a blank page. And then the beach ball comes on and I wait, I'm not kidding, 20 seconds for it to draw and show me the image of the PDF. I'll quit the PDF. I'll relaunch it. It shows me right away. So that happens all the time. Another, another thing happens is sometimes I'll be in a, a save dialog box and I want to save a simple document to a folder somewhere on my hard drive. And it'll take mm, 15 to 20 seconds for the, um, for the window to display the items in the folders on my hard drive. And sometimes it won't at all. It just gets hung. So I have to cancel it and resave. And this time it'll, it'll draw the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the images of all the icons and folders so I can save the document. Weird stuff. Don't understand it. Again, wipe this machine four times. Is it possible that I don't have enough RAM for Lion? Is eight gigs not enough? Is is it a permissions problem, do you think? Um, I don't know. It just seems odd that this super screaming, super duper Mac Pro uh, 64-bit doodah doodah machine does not... <laughs> is 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 acting like an old power PC. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm dying here. All right. Well, let's see if we can. Uh, so I, I want to address some of his points. And while I address him, I'm going to share what I'm seeing, too. So um, I have three Macs in in my world here running Lion. One is the iMac in my office. One is the iMac in the house and one is the air. So for the purposes of what I'm going to explain here, we have office, house and air. Uh, RAM wise, I've got four gigs each in the house and the air, 12 gigs in the office. As a as a shortcut to the end of this, the house iMac is the one that's experiencing the same symptoms that uh, that JP talks about here. So, again, four gigs in the house, four gigs in the air, 12 gigs in the office, office and air experiencing no problems. Interestingly, the house iMac has a spindle hard drive office in the air, both running the booting off of SSD. Um, all three had clean installs of Lion. I did a manual data migration in the office, the house and the air full migration assistant. So that's not common to a, you know, a problem. Um, the only thing that's common is the spindle drive versus the SSDs um, on the house. iMac, I with the one that has the problems. I get the beach ball. Oftentimes, and I don't understand this, but there's something to it because I've had several of you folks email in and say you've seen the same thing. If you, in fact, it was a listener that taught me that this could solve or alleviate the beach ball while the beach ball is spinning. If I hit on the keyboard, the volume up or down keys that unsticks it somehow. Uh, I don't know why it shouldn't. doesn't make any sense, but it unsticks it. So. Uh, so that's, that's one thing I've noticed. Um, and maybe it means I need to reset the PRAM and the SMC. I, you know, I, I'm not sure. Uh, the other thing is that the house iMac seems to run better 
if I have multiple apps running simultaneously, if I've just got one app, that's when I really run into problems like this. So I, I don't know, John, so you're, you're hearing all this and I, I know you're not experiencing any of these lion problems, but, but, but hearing this, is there anything that jumps to mind as to, you know, what would be causing, I mean, it's essentially like an, an interrupt is just hanging the system completely unnecessarily for, you know, 15 to 60 seconds and then releasing it. That that's what it, that's what my gut feels like. Hmm. So one thing that I've seen, so if you dig around in user directory library logs, I have seen on occasion logs that are, I think they're called stall logs or hang logs. And okay. they're logs that are created when a application for whatever reason is hanging a little bit too long. So you may want to poke around for those. I'll, I'll dig up some information and try to get something okay. comprehensible in the show notes. But it's, it, it, there it, may be a misbehaving app that though I understand that the apps were installed fresh and it sounds like uh, what was done was the right way to do it. Install Lion, install the apps, install the, you know, the silly key codes right. and then everything should be cool. Um, so another thing that occurs to me is, uh, you know, I'd almost lean towards. I mean, obviously, the machine has plenty of cores. <clears throat> almost too many in my opinion. Um, <laughs> the amount yeah. of Ram is ideal. I, I think uh, I have six gigs on my MacBook pro here and uh, I, I have not experienced that sort of thing. Um, the only thing uh, that comes to mind being a software type of guy is it, it, it almost seems to me it could be a, I'm going to lean towards hardware and I'm trying to think of what piece of hardware to identify. I think you hinted at this, Dave, though. I don't think a rotational drive is so slow that it's going to give you the spin, but I'm wondering if there's maybe a faulty drive involved here. Um, yeah. But on all these machines though. I mean, again, if, you know, this, yeah, this, yeah. this spinning beach ball thing is, is a very common uh, of the people that are having problems with lion. It is the most common one I've heard of. And, and again, most of the time, just moving the volume buttons changes it. So it, it, and, and, and it's all on machines, every single instance that I've heard of. And if, if you've got different experiences, folks, please tell us, because I feel like we're getting somewhere here, but, um, every instance I've heard of, it's been a mechanical drive. So is there something that lion's doing? Is there some broken hardware driver in a, how it talks to the hard drive, uh, that, you know, when you, cause it's all interrupt based, right? I mean, you know, and you used to have to manage this manually, right? Where, you know, you went like on old win, uh, you know, windows and DOS you know, machines, you had to manage so that things were on different interrupts. And if they were on the same interrupt, they would crash with each other, but, but sound and hard drive were always things that ran on interrupts and, and Mac OS 10 is sure. an interrupt driven OS, right? So, so, you know, the, the fact that the, the whole thing unsticks, when I force a sound to happen, right. And that's all volume up and down does is it makes a sound play. But as soon as I force a sound to happen, it's like it, it, it jolts it, you know, it just nudges it into, into action. So I, I don't know, there's just something going on. And sometimes just clicking the mouse and going from one window out and then back in kind of solves that problem. Like JP was mentioning with mm. preview. I don't know. There's, there's something here. I feel like we're close. Well, well, here's a suggestion. Okay. So I'm assuming that the, the drives that are, in the machine are SATA drives. Uh, that's safe assumption. Yeah. So, so right. I could speculate what if it's some sort of bug or issue with the SATA driver 
But wouldn't that also so, happen with the SSD drives? Yes. Uh, so what I'm uh, what I'm suggesting though is maybe as a troubleshooting exercise, yeah, would be to create a configuration where you're booting from an external, whether it be FireWire 800 or or even USB, USB right. or Thunderbolt. Now we got those you know bad boys out now. Um, and yeah, but it's but there's yeah, all yeah, things being not be equal. Thunderbolt. That actually Thunderbolt may be a bad idea. Because Thunderbolt yeah. in and of itself well, is new. No, listen. No, no, listen to why. Thunderbolt. No, no, no. no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Go. Thunderbolt in and of itself is not a drive interface. It is a bus interface, right? So right. you're still going to. So you can have Thunderbolt to Firewire, for example. You could have Thunderbolt to USB. And we actually have those in the, the, the cinema, the, the no. Apple displays. But you can have Thunderbolt to Thunderbolt. Yeah, but, the, but there's no such thing as a Thunderbolt drive. Right. Yes, there is. No, no, there's not. There's a yeah, drive. No, no, no. Yes, there is. No, no. There are no hard drives. I've seen that support Thunderbolt. What you have seen are drives that have a Thunderbolt to SATA adapter in them. And the okay. hard drive itself is SATA. And why that's important is because you'd still be using Mac OS 10 SATA driver because it's it's connecting directly to it. Thunderbolt is like a mainline into the motherboard. Hmm? Okay. Right? It's. I mean, it's right. because I saw. I, I saw as you. Yeah. You know, I wrote a report about it. But Lacy had these blazing fast drives right. that had a Thunderbolt. All they had on them were two Thunderbolt ports. Which the cool part was, the computer, which is a MacBook Pro, hooked to a Thunderbolt drive, which hooked to another one, which hooked to another one, which then hooked to a display. Right. Which to me, in and of itself, was very cool. But these drives were were blazingly fast. I mean, right. we're talking. Yeah, the highest transfer but, speeds I've ever seen. But you bring up a good point. It's but, not it's Thunderbolt to something else. Right. Yes. And it's going to and the OS isn't going to even see that it's Thunderbolt because it, it's like the old days of having card slots. Right. Where you're just plugging really? directly in. So so I would not use a Thunderbolt drive for this particular test if we think it's the SATA huh. driver. And that's why you don't think it's a Thunderbolt driver. No. OK. No, I really don't. The but it's just a bus. Okay. Right. It's not. All right. Yeah. All right, yeah. I gotta look at that. No, I'm scratching my head over that. Of yeah, course, we I talked don't have about a this. We talked about this in a TMO staff meeting uh, several months ago, and 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 did a lot of research. And I'm 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 pretty confident on what I'm saying here about about that the okay. way it works. I'm, I actually I'm, talked with Apple. I'm about pretty it. confident in your assessment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. Is that, uh, so? So you're saying even if you're talking Thunderbolt, that's like at a different layer in the communication stack, and you're really using a SATA driver. Correct. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Because okay. because there there is nothing that speaks the, the whole concept of Thunderbolt is that and I realize we're on a tangent, but it's apparently a fun one. Mm. Uh, the whole concept of Thunderbolt is that it's it's like it, it's not any it's not its own interface. Right. I mean, it it is in that there's a, a plug, but you have to go from Thunderbolt to something. And so it's a it's a very forward um, compatible interface because you can, you know, if something gets, if you have SATA three and then we go to SATA six, well, that's fine. You could go Thunderbolt to SATA six. Thunderbolt speed is the speed of the motherboard. So it's just, you know, blazing through and it doesn't, okay. it doesn't so matter. All right. So what you're talking about without getting too geeky, we could get a little geeky, but it's very similar to how networks are constructed. So a lot of networks have in a ether, very, uh, yeah. So, so for example, you have gigabit ethernet. But the thing is, Gigabit Ethernet doesn't have to talk TCP/IP. It could Correct. talk. It could talk a number of. So I think I understand what you're saying. So That's Thunderbolt right. is a lower level, high speed kind of thing to move data around, and then above it 
could be something like SATA. Whatever it, protocol it, it, you're going to use. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cause, mm-hmm. And that's why, I mean, think about it. You know, could you plug a display into FireWire or USB? And the answer is not really. I mean, there are those USB display adapters, but they're adapters. Whereas Thunderbolt, it's just, you know, it's just, it, it's like plugging into the motherboard. So, yeah. All right. So, so to back off here, so to, yeah, <laughs> to bubble up a few I got a, I got a layers, but I, but I think what, what I'm suggesting is perhaps trying to run the system. So maybe get a carbon copy cloner or super duper or your favorite drive duplication utility. Take what's on one of your drives, put it on an external drive and run it off of USB or FireWire and see if you get the same problem. If you do, well, that sucks. But if you right. don't, then to me, that would perhaps point to a problem with the SATA implementation. And you know what's interesting is I mm-hmm. have a big FireWire drive sitting right next, sitting unused right next to that iMac at the house. So I may I may try this as an experiment here because that that would be a value. And you know what? I think it's even got a clone of that drive on it because that's what I use to wipe the drive. So it's perfectly set up. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And that'll answer that'll answer whether it's a SATA driver thing or not but now my question and i'm looking mm-hmm. this up while we talk about it here is um on on apple machines with um with apple installed ssds don't those also attach to the sata bus and i'm, I'm looking here so i'm looking on my imac which has a um, it's got a SATA, it's got a, a spindle drive in it, but it boots from the, it's got the dual setup, right? So it's got SSD and mechanical and I'm looking here, Intel six series chipset. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it is, it is connecting to SATA. The SSD is also a SATA device, but I'm looking to see if there's mm-hmm. anything different about the driver here. And I don't see anything. It's saying AHCI version 1.3. Yeah, it seems all the same. Link speed 6 gigabit negotiated to 3. Yeah, but it, but you know, remember, Lion does know the difference between solid state and not and rotational. So the driver could be uh, acting differently. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's just like it, you know, this interrupt thing because it's so consistent. As soon as you can force an interrupt into there, it, it, the system frees up. So it's not like it's saving something out to the drive, and and your I/O bound because the drive is just crunching and crunching and crunching, and you're waiting. Mm-hmm. It it's like I mean, you're waiting for something, but it almost feels like you're waiting for an operation uh, to time out, and then it's like, oh yeah, you're good to go. You know, I don't know. It's weird. I wish. I feel like it's like right at the tip of, of, uh, you know, just at, at the outer tip of, of what I can, what I can think of. And I, I can't come up with it. It's driving me crazy, but it's weird that it, it runs better. If I have like six apps open, it's less likely to go into beach ball mode than it is if I quit them all and just have one app. And again, that might be an interrupt hmm. thing, right? I mean, if apps are doing things in the background, that might be enough to kind of keep kicking the OS along. <sighs> I'm speculating here, you know, it's, a, it's just, a, well, likewise. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we have an answer, but I, I don't I, think we do. I, I yeah. wish I had this problem, but 
but I don't. Well, there's a lot of smart people that listen to this show and uh, and we all kind of think about things differently. So I'm hoping that this discussion uh, might trigger something in someone's mind and I'll come back from from vacation and find that uh, that together we've we've got an answer and we've solved this this problem. And then we'll call I guess Apple to me, is, we'll you know, I, well, I guess the core of the issue and, you know, that this I, uh, you know, maybe both you and I are part of the developer program and maybe yeah. we can dig. Yeah. But what is it? And, and I'm sure there were multiple things, but what causes the OS? And I think we touched on some of them already, but what causes the OS to give you the, the you know, beach ball of death is, is one way I like to put it. What makes that thing come up and spin and, and why is it spinning and what causes it to unspin? Now, of course, you could maybe timestamp that and, you know, peek around in the console, our favorite place to look for seen, low level messages. I've seen messages. nothing in the console. Okay. Yeah, I've right, had the console suggestion. open. I've had it open right. on another Mac. Yeah, I know. It's, it, but no, it's a good, it's good thoughts, right? I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, it's, it doesn't seem to be getting logged anywhere. An activity monitor doesn't show that, you know, something is stuck. It's really weird. It's really weird. It's like the system doesn't know that it's stuck. But it, clearly it does because it's spinning this beach ball, right? And that's a function of the OS. All right. Yeah. So somebody somewhere at a low level is saying, you know, I, I got to take some time to do this. So let's change the cursor so the, the user knows that. Right. That they can't for the time being do something. So Wait a minute. Maybe it's a bug mm-hmm. in the routine that decides when to change the cursor. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Let's. Oh, uh, I feel bad now. Well, let's. No, I. It's, it's a geek. I think it's a geek challenge here. Oh, I, I yeah. We, we tossed out a few speculations, but. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, John has a question and and it's it's really about the premium show, but it's it's relevant here. And I wanted everybody to know. So John writes, uh, I'm on the road and trying to download, download the latest premium podcast for my iPhone. I could not find anywhere but the free one in iTunes. So I went to the website and tried to subscribe. Uh, when I try the iTunes AAC, AAC link, uh, it goes nowhere. When I use the XML link, I'm prompted for my ID and password right in Safari. When I enter them, I get an invalid link message. Can you instruct me on how to get premium directly from my iPhone? I must be doing something wrong. And in fact, you are. Unfortunately, iTunes uh, on the iPhone will only download podcasts that are available in the iTunes store. Uh, and of course, even though it's called a store, you cannot download paid podcasts from iTunes. So you actually, you, while you can use iTunes on your Mac to download, to log in and download the premium show, uh, you then, you, you, you can't do that directly on your iPhone with iTunes. You'd have to download on your Mac and sync over. But there are three utilities that we've tested that work really well. And this would work for anyone, whether you're using the premium version or not. Um, Two are paid. One is not. The two that are paid are $1.99 each. One is called Podcaster, and uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes. The other is called Downcast. Those are pretty traditional uh, podcast downloading utilities in that you uh, you tell it what show you want. You can have it download, and then it's available offline, and, and, it, and it works pretty in a pretty straightforward way. Uh, then there's also Stitcher. And very recently, and I'm happy to announce this, that you can get Mac Geek Gab Premium through Stitcher. It's actually listed in Stitcher's uh, directory. And when you choose Premium, it'll ask you for your Mac Geek Gab login information. Of course, you can't buy in the Stitcher app because Apple doesn't permit that because that's not how Apple is. Uh, you still get a sign up on, you know, at, at MacGeekGab.com. But once you've got a login and password, you can 
Go into Stitcher. You'll see if you search for Mac Geekab, you'll see it. They even cleaned up the names for us. So it says Mac Geekab or Mac Geekab Premium. And you pick the one that you want. If you choose premium. Oh. Yep. It's awesome. You awesome. Put in, yep. You put in your username and password and then it works. Now, Stitcher is a little different than Podcaster or Downcast. It's more of a streaming thing, uh, although, it, you know, there are there are ways of, of doing things offline. But uh, but the Stitcher app's really cool. So so I highly and, and Stitcher, as I said, is free. So uh, so perhaps that's the place you want to start. And then if you want one of these paid apps to do uh, a little bit more and, and better offline management and that sort of thing. But Stitcher's cool. So so there you go. So uh, and again, if you're not yet a premium and, I, and I'm convinced that everyone will be at some point. But if you're not yet uh, and that's OK, if you're not yet a premium subscriber, uh, you can still use all of these apps to to download Mac Geek mm-hmm. and all your other favorite podcasts. That's uh yeah, and I'm really happy that we finally were able to to crack the. Well, no, it's awesome because I guess they they. Had, well, I think they had to to uh, inform their application of our presence, mm. right? Well, we also had to work with them to link their application with our authentication library. Right, right. Yeah. And I guess that was the thing is that any yeah any because uh, the authentication right. they don't they yeah to, so so that everyone's clear. Stitcher and, and none of these others have your password anywhere but inside the app. They're not storing your password on their servers or anything like that. The authenticate authentication happens directly between the app and and us. So they're not storing it on on their end. But, yeah, we had to work with Stitcher so that so that they could we essentially had to build a little engine so that the app knew how to authenticate with our um you know, with our, with our backend, but it was cool. Adam mm. Christensen, of course, you know, he does yeah. all of our tech stuff here and, and he was instrumental. He, he and Rachel over at Stitcher uh, worked together and, and got that together awesome. for us. Yeah. No. So it's cool. And so I'm happy, happy to announce that. <laughs> and yes, and, uh, no, that's oh, okay. it. No, well, I, I was just uh, leading into the next question, oh, which is yeah. from question mark, question mark. Yes, that's right. We have uh, a mystery <laughs> uh, emailer, which is interesting. Uh, so mystery person here says I'm troubled by what seemed to be a simple fix to a problem. And yet all my efforts of finding a solution provided to be in vain being iPhone users. My wife and I use the iPhone's default calendar app religiously, which syncs with our MacBook pros. iCal running lion with the dawn of iOS five and iCloud migrating calendar syncing from iCal via iTunes to iCloud seems the most logical move. However, I've had calendar syncing problems in the past and a number of supposedly recurring appointments disappear after editing them and then syncing. That's why I've always been mindful about making exported backups of iCal's database. Before I move the iPhone calendar syncing to iCloud, I want to make sure I had a way to do a manual and regular export or create backups of all the calendar apps data. To my surprise, none of the seemingly endless array of iOS apps on the App Store offers such a feature. While there are apps to do this very task for the iPhone's contacts, uh, my search for a calendar database version has been unsuccessful. The closest app I found was ShareCal, which selects only a few appointments, but not the whole calendar database with iCloud. Not having an export feature in its web UI, doing a manual export or backup directly from the iPhone seems to be my only option. I'm hoping that you guys would know of an app store app that would solve my small dilemma before I migrate to syncing exclusively with iCloud. As always, thanks for, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, so, Here's the thing. Yeah, the iPhones or iOS calendar database is not 
accessible by third-party apps. There's an API where apps can, uh, with your permission, put events in and I think even read events out, but they're not talking directly to the calendar database. So there's no way for an app to uh, go and grab everything and then export it. And I, th and I think that's what you're seeing with those few apps that you found or that one app that you found that does you know, this in a limited sense. But you can also sync your computer with iCloud. So it would seem to me that syncing your computer with iCloud and getting the calendar there and then exporting from either iCal or, you know, you can sync directly to iCloud with BusyCal if you'd rather not use iCal. Uh, but, but either one of them, once you've got the data synced there, will let you export and save a backup. So I'm, I'm not sure what the benefit or what the difference is between wanting to backup directly from the iPhone as opposed to just from uh, iCal or, or BusyCal on your Mac. But, but it, it certainly is easier to backup from iCal or BusyCal on the Mac. And then I, and then I think you're going to talk a little bit about this, John, but when you back up your iPhone, it does save the calendar database as part of kind of the whole, you know, monolithic backup that goes on. But, um, but it's not easy to extract yes. from that. You can, you can restore the entire thing, but that may be, you know, a little bit overkill. Well, what's the, uh, what's the app that we found here? Because I found super crazy. Awesome.com. Okay. So there is an app that can parse the backup file that is created when you sync your iDevice uh, with iTunes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that can could solve the problem. But I think in general, I think, yeah, the, the iDevice is just not a good place for you to be exporting yeah. your calendar data. I think it's really intended to be Mac or PC, I guess, centric. Yep. And that that's that's where you got the heavy duty apps that are meant to ex export the data. So, yeah. And, and, you know, iCloud uses what has now become a, you know, an open standard called CalDAV. So whatever you're pulling down from iCal on your i your and this is how your iPhone talks to it, too. Your iPhone talks CalDAV to iCloud. BusyCal talks CalDAV to iCloud. iCal on your Mac talks CalDAV to iCloud. So. You're pulling the data out of the server in in the same or a very similar way on all of your devices. So pulling it, you know, pulling it out on your iPhone is is effectively no different than pulling it out, say, into BusyCal, and then you can save a backup from there. So, yeah, I, th I think I think you're okay, unless I'm unless I'm missing something here as to why it's important to get the iPhone's version of the calendar as opposed to the one that lives somewhere else. I think you're okay doing it with iCal or BusyCal or anything like that on your Mac. Mm -hmm. mm hmm. All right. Uh, let's go to Kirk, John. Oh, this say? was fun. Yeah. I like <laughs> okay. this one. So Kirk writes, uh, my wife's white MacBook circa early 2008 has recently been skipping the sleep state, usually going right into hibernation. When she shuts the lid most, but not all of the time, it will hibernate instead of sleeping. I ran Onyx's complement of programs, reset the SMC, zap the PRAM, but it continues to demonstrate this behavior. I should point out that I routinely swap the batteries of her and my identical MacBooks so they get as much inconsistent use as possible. Any other ideas of things to try? Now, uh, John, I'll let you take this, but I, I will just explain the difference between sleep and hibernate because most folks may not understand uh, what what is the difference, Dave? I'm I'm confused. I have right. Go. So older Macs, uh, several I don't know, maybe five plus years ago, uh, laptops only would would exhibit a behavior that we're going to refer to as sleep. And what that is is when you would shut the lid or tell it to sleep, 
it just goes to sleep. Um, but the, the battery trickles out a little bit of power to keep the Ram alive so that when you wake up your Mac, it remembers where you were and everything, all the documents you had open and the OS is still booted and all of that. Uh, and that's all fine and good if you're going to do it for, you know, several hours or even a day. But if you're going to leave your machine for more than that, the the drain on the battery can is too much and sometimes can be so much that, you know, by the time you come back, your Mac has shut down and that's bad. So uh, there's this concept called hibernate, which has actually existed longer on Windows laptops than it has on Mac. Yeah. Stuff. yeah well, you know, yes, it has. Yeah. And the idea behind hibernate is when you go to put the machine to sleep before it goes into sleep mode, it takes whatever is in Ram and just dumps it out to a file on the disk. And on the Mac, what this means is if you've got six gigs of Ram, it writes, yep, a six gig file out on disk. Even if all your Ram wasn't full, it doesn't matter. It takes a snapshot of memory and just dumps it out. Uh, And then when the machine and then at that point, one of two things can happen. Uh, It can go to sleep. Or it can go straight into hibernate, which is essentially the Mac shutting down entirely, but leaving a little note on the hard drive that when the OS starts to boot back up, it says, hey, instead of booting the OS, go ahead and load from this hibernate file and load the RAM image and you're up and running. By default, Macs from the factory now will uh, save the hibernate file, but go to sleep. So that means that it wakes up very quickly because it's not reading from the hibernate file. It still drains the battery a little bit. but If your battery happens to drain out to the point where it cannot sustain your RAM, you've still got this hibernate file and the machine's smart enough to reboot with that. So Kirk is seeing that it's writing the hibernate file, which is normal, but it's not putting it to sleep. It's just shutting it off and then having to wake up from hibernation. So with that, Mr. Braun. Now you may ask yourself, how do I work? Am I David Byrne? You beat me to it. <laughs> so the question that I presented here was, there are ways to look at what your system thinks it should be doing when you shut the lid or when power gets low. And it's in our friend, which we've talked about before, but we will talk about again, PM set, which From the is terminal. PRAM set. So yeah, so you go to the terminal. I think it's power management set. Is what right. PM and I think it's for. related to the parameter RAM, right? Uh, no, I don't you think, think it's so, no. Oh, no. okay. I don't think so. Okay. So, oh, power management settings. How about that? Yeah. yeah. You think so? No, you know, it, you it can definitely probably tell. Is. No, it, the man page says manipulate power management settings. It's power management so, set. Yeah. What you can do is go to the terminal, type PM set space dash G, and that will show you the settings for pretty much all of them, I think. And so what, what What? my question was, and we got a response to it, actually, and you you followed up on this, Dave, so I had a little email exchange here, is what do you see for hibernate mode? Oh, boy. Are they coming to get you, John? Yes. They, no, I think that's an ambulance. Oh, that's I, hope. hopefully, hopefully they're not coming to get you. With not, that. not for me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't call them. <laughs> Could have been a cop. I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, my question was, what do you see for, because I think it's relevant to the question here, Dave, and then I'll hand it off to you because I think sure. you followed up. So the exchange was as follows. Something weird's happening. I said, you know what? Do a PM set space dash G. And what do you see for hibernate mode? Because I think that's relevant to this question. And I think you you uh, addressed it and maybe solved it, Dave. Oh, yeah. So I'll hand it back to you. What what 
what does hibernate mode mean? So hibernate mode and, and, uh, and this actually would be an, an excellent source for, or excellent seed for a Mac geek Gab answers article. Hint, hint, Jim, uh, I'll send you the PDFs to do with this when we're done with the show. So, uh, Hibernate his hibernate mode when he did PM set space dash G showed hibernate mode of five. Now, this is interesting because this is a non default setting Uh, hibernate mode on your and it exists even on your uh, your desktop machines, but it's always zero, which means it's never going to hibernate. It's only going to sleep or or wake up, but it needs power coming through uh, no matter what. Uh, Hibernate mode five means that. The system should write the contents of RAM to disk and then totally shut down. And it means that you're using secure virtual memory. Uh, so it is doing exactly what you, you're telling. It's, it's doing what it's doing is following uh, and first day with a new tongue. Uh, it means that the setting is in sync with the behavior that you're seeing. So that's actually a good sign. I realize it's not what you want, but it means that the machine is doing what it thinks it's supposed to be doing. Um, so hibernate mode five means that, uh, it's going to save and then hibernate immediately. Hibernate mode one also means this, but one means in non-secure virtual memory. Five means secure virtual memory. Uh, so we know that you're using secure virtual memory. Mode three is the default for, uh, for max. And, and in the way that I described that it, saves the hibernate file, but then sleeps to Ram so that it wakes up very quickly. So that's mode three for non-secure add four mode seven for secure virtual memory. And mode seven is what it sounds like Kirk wants. Um, hmm. And that would be sudo space. You have to, and when you change it, you have to use sudo because you're doing a, a system wide, but it's sudo space PM set space dash a space hibernate mode space seven. And then that will set it. Um, and and John, in 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 your reply to to Kirk, you mentioned that there is a non-terminal way to set this by using a utility called Smart Sleep. And Kirk said something very interesting in his email that explains yes. why his is at this very non-standard Guilty. setting. Right. <laughs> well, he said he used sleep, his Smart Sleep in the past, but then deleted it. And Smart Sleep is one of those utilities, actually, a lot like Time Machine Editor, which is another one that we recommend all the time. That all it's doing is making settings changes, but once you delete it, whatever changes you've made will continue to persist. So he had smart sleep. He put this on and then it would stand to reason that you could remove smart sleep and everything you'd done with it would, would revert back to zero. But that's not the case. Um, you, you have to then still use smart sleep or like I said, this terminal command to set it all back to normal. And, and the same is true. Uh, tangential here for time machine editor. If you use that to alter your time machine setting and then throw away the app, your time machine setting still lives with exactly what you set with time machine editor. So, um, so yeah. And smart sleep. Actually, I was reading in the app store. It, uh, a lot of the reviews are saying that it doesn't work anymore, <sighs> which isn't good. Uh, I oh, think it, you I know, think it has to do with I, lion's I, sandboxing or something. Well, you know, I got to just, well, the, the weird thing, Dave, is that maybe the, the newest, because I saw the same thing. But the mm-hmm. thing is, when I look at my uh, system preferences, oh look, Smart Sleep. But I'm still running the uh, the old the one, older two point six, right? Which is dated two thousand nine, and it still appears to be working. Yeah, I think the old one so, works. Yeah, but people were complaining about the new one. I don't know. It's worth trying, uh, and you can go to the website 
I think you can get it from their website or from the app store. So. Yavo. So hopefully that helps. And yeah, smart sleep makes this a lot easier because I, you know, even answering his question today, I had to look and, and research and mm-hmm. do the math and, you know, calculate from, from, you know, binary to, to, um, decimal numbers. Well, you know, to explain that a little bit, <laughs> it's, it's worth a little mention here. Okay. But, but, so the numbers that Dave were mentioning here. So, so let's talk, how do you compute from binary? So, Let's think of a number of switches here. All right. right. I think it's probably the best way to explain it. So he was mentioning all these values in, or we were in base 10, you know, we were mentioning five, seven, things like that. But the way that the PM set command and a lot of other things work is that they, they work in binary. And if you can imagine a set of switches, the first switch is, I'm going to say could be a well, all the switches could have zero or one, but let's think of it this way. So the first switch will increment a value by. Hey, hey, why, don't, why don't you write an article about that? I think this is one of those things that's really hard to describe via voice. Yeah, you're right. You know well, what I mean? It, it get, I don't know. I, if, if you've got a vision on how to do it, go. But otherwise, I think it's better explained visually. I could probably do that. Uh, okay. I'll offer. I'll, yeah, I'll go, offer a short one quick. here. Yeah, is yeah, that, go. Well, quick. All right. So, so if you've taken any sort of math courses, you know about powers or bases, and everything in binary is. Now nah, you're right. It, it is hard to to explain. It's a very visual thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I mean, the thing is, it switches. Is that it, you know, just like you have you know one digit, two digit, three digit in base ten, and they all refer to a value that's based on a power of ten. Binary is different, but it's based on a power of two. And again, yeah, it's hard to visualize. Oh, that's right, so, though. That You're right. Yeah. It is. And that's how bits are done. And bit is binary digit. And that's how computers basically represent information. But um, yeah, so, I'll, I'll, no, I'll find an article because I mean, no, there's there, there's absolutely something on Wikipedia that can explain this. And oh, well, once true. you see it visually, you'll grok it. The, the thing is, yeah, trying to explain how to convert between base 10 and base two you need a yeah. chalkboard, man. Uh, yeah, or visual medium. Right. So, so I'll find I'll find an article on Wikipedia that'll or, or, or somewhere that'll explain this. But but that's Perfect. kind of how they explain it in the man page, which could be confusing for people to look at the man page for PM set because they talk about the bits, and right. then you're like, well, what's a bit? And, uh, yeah, it's crazy. And even the man page isn't quite right, by the way. It's it's a little wrong. I don't. I think it's it it says some things that aren't consistent. I would do it with smart sleep or just leave it at mode three or mode seven and, and be done with it. So well, it's funny. The man page actually says you should use zero three or 25. Yeah. Mm. yeah. All right. Yeah, exactly. And it says 25 does what he's saying. Five does. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Um, no, mm. no. All right. It's, yeah. It's not consistent with itself. If you start doing the math and in the man page, you'll see that it's wrong. Mm. Yeah. It's not good. All right, where are, we're, we're we're almost at the end, but there's so much more, Dave. There where, is. Where do we go? Um, let's, you know, let's go through. Christopher had a good question, um, and and this is another one to uh, to let things kind of float a little bit. So, Christopher said, uh, "Would you please explain for us novices how, or even if, we users of a single Apple device, such as myself with a 2008 MacBook." would make use of iCloud. 
I currently use a free Dropbox account to back up my documents, and I was excited to hear about iCloud, but noticed when launching the setup that it appears to be used only for syncing multiple Apple devices. Okay, so you're right that a lot of the benefits of iCloud come from syncing data, different types of data to multiple devices. But iCloud has a couple of other things, too, uh, in addition to the syncing of documents. Um, iCloud has find my iPhone, or if in the case of a Mac, you can use find my Mac and it will allow you to hunt down and find your Macintosh. It also has email in there. It also has calendar as we've talked about, and that is accessible from the web, which can be a really handy thing. So, uh, you could, you know, have you have your calendar sync with iCloud and then if you're somewhere else and you need to check your calendar, you can just fire up a web web interface and open up iCloud and you're good to go. So um, as far as using iCloud like Dropbox, this is where it gets very interesting because iCloud has a folder uh, and it's called it's in your home folder called li- mm-hmm. library called mobile documents. Ah, you got it. I was going to surprise you, but you got it. Okay. So that folder actually acts like Dropbox in that it syncs between your Mac and iCloud and then whatever other Macs you connect, uh, it syncs that folder down. But you're you're not meant to be putting things in there, although you can and, and we've tested it and you put stuff in there and it just magically appears on your other iCloud enabled Macs. Uh, I wouldn't rely on that for Dropbox style file syncing or backs up backups or whatever, simply because Apple may choose to change the behavior of, of that folder at any time. But uh, if you have other things, if you have like, uh, you know, pages or keynote or something syncing with iCloud and you look in that folder, you'll see folders for each of those, those apps. Um, so, and, uh, and, and, you know, iCloud, if you are syncing pages up to it, iCloud also has a web interface for your, um, for your iWork documents. So pages, keynote and numbers. And you can, you know, if you have, if you put stuff in there, you can, you can pull down a document. So you could have a, a keynote document. And even if you're, you don't have keynote on the Mac that you are uh, going to, to look at, you can pull it down and it'll actually convert it to a PDF for you. So you can see the file, even if you don't have keynote there. So iCloud can be that sort of backup for you, but it not, in the same way as Dropbox, but it still may be valuable for you. And, uh, and of course it's, it's, uh, it's free now for, for your five gigs. So there's no reason in that sense, there's no reason not to use it. The other thing it's cool is, is photo stream. Of course that gets really valuable when you've got multiple devices, of course, but, uh, but still you can, you know, it's, um, it's a nice way to back up your, your photos, at least for the month automatically and freely. So so that's my little little answer to that question. Do you have anything to add there, John? No, Mr. Braun. Okay, how are we doing on time here? I've I've lost. Oh, we're yeah, we're, we're at one hundred and three. All right, so uh, let's go, and we're going to do. John, you found a very cool thing with regards to Bluetooth troubleshooting. So let's do that, and then uh, and then we will say sayonara for two weeks, and then we'll be back. So, John, let's uh, go. All right, so we had it in our last show, but we're going to introduce it in this show. Uh, A tip for troubleshooting Bluetooth devices like your Magic Mouse or uh, what's the other gizmo? Magic Trackpad. 
the magic trap had. Yeah. And the question had had to do with, well, gosh, I, I my device doesn't seem to be reconnecting. How do I troubleshoot this? Well, here's one way to do this. And it, and it's a little bonus feature as far as I can tell. Yep. In um Oh, you know, I'm seeing something even different here. No, you know, it's a little different. Oh, I just figured it out, Dave. Right. So what happens is if you go to system preferences under Internet and wireless Bluetooth on the left side of the screen, you will see the various devices. For example, what I see here right now is Apple Apple wireless mouse, which is my magic mouse. And then I see my mini and also uh, my iPhone. Right. None of them are connected Okay. You know what? Maybe I should connect to one. No, but uh, but I'll tell you what I saw, and and I had a screenshot here. But if you highlight one of the devices, and then you go to uh, so Dave and I called it the gear menu, and I think we should continue to do that. We've learned it's called the action menu. But if you click on a device and then click on the little gear, you will then see a choice saying "Show more info." Well, you know what? You may want to click on that. But what happens is if you click on that. And the device is connected because I just learned this, Dave, because I'm looking right now and the thing I said that I thought was there is not there. Okay. You, you want me to take over because I've got a connected device or do you oh. have it? And you know, that's the reason I didn't see it. I, I thought it was a difference between Lion and Snow Leopard because I didn't see it on either machine. Oh. But no, it's because the device is not connected. But if a device is connected, then you will see an item that is a show RSSI. It, it's so yeah. So it's it's a weird UI and and it's not it's not what you typically expect from Apple. So no. when because I had some problems with this when you told me about it. So I went there and I looked at this menu and John told me that there's an item that's going to be there called Monitor Connection RSSI. But first, right. you have to do what John said. You have to choose Show More Info. And what'll happen is you'll see a lot more info in the right pane of the window. But what also happens when you check show more info is the next time you go to the gear menu, you'll see four new options. Add to favorites, update name, update services and monitor connection RSSI. And when you open monitor connection RSSI, John will tell you what you'll see. Well, if you see it at all, then I think what that indicates. So you may ask yourself, what is RSSI? And last I checked, that is received signal strength indicator which is a relative measure of how much rf mojo your mac is seeing from the device that it is connected to now in this case i didn't see it and so this is even weirder part of this dave is that if there's no device connected it eliminates that item from the menu sure well that makes (laughs) that's why i looked at it and i'm like wait where did it go i just saw it before so um this is something that you can use to detect uh, to look at you know are your Bluetooth devices like your magic mouse or whatever is Bluetooth. It can't just be a magic mouse. It could be another Mac. It could be a a headset. It could be, there's all sorts of things. This is something that can help you determine, you know, what's going on here and especially detect, you know, am I in a area with interference or, or, or what's going on here? So it shows a little graph with a value where, you know, the higher up on the graph it is the, the stronger the signal. So, and then, well, the other thing I found Dave is so at the very top, uh, the, uh, the top part of the window here, and this is one that just made me all giddy with the light. Um, so right now my, my system says, you know, JB MacBook Pro is the name Bluetooth devices used to connect to this computer. And I accidentally clicked on it. And the first time I clicked on it, it showed me a value that looked very much like a Mac address. And you know what? It is a Mac address. It's the Mac address, as far as I can tell, of the Bluetooth interface. That's right. Then I clicked on it again, and it showed me what appears to be a version number, which I'm going to assume is the firmware 
of the Bluetooth in the computer. And then you click on it yet again. And then what it said here to me, and because I know these guys, Broadcom. So mine says Broadcom bracket V180C385 close bracket H4.3. So so that is the, uh, I believe, the chipset or the, because the, Broadcom makes a no, lot of the chips so, that are used in the Mac. So actually... Um, the first number, so you got the Mac address is the first one that you see of the Bluetooth interface. Yep. And then the 401 F4 is the Apple Bluetooth software version. Ah, okay. And then the next one shows that it is a broad, the manufacturer is Broadcom. And then it shows the firmware version followed by man. That Oh, look at you. See firmware version followed by, I'm not sure what these L4 but it's more detailed than you ever wanted to know about yes. the Bluetooth inside of your whatever Mac that you have. Yeah. But it surprised me. I just accidentally clicked there and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's changing. Look at that. So. Yeah. So I got for, that information by, by cross-referencing what you're seeing here with what system profiler shows you. Uh, that's, that's how I knew that it was the. Well, look at version. you. I know, you know, it's how I go. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. And. Uh, you know, I guess it's time to uh, to reintroduce uh, the the band, and uh, and so we will do that. Here comes the band. All right, so uh. yeah, that was a good find, John. I'd never seen that, and it's cool. It's like a, I mean, it's a signal strength graph, and it just kind of charts along every what I don't know every five seconds or something. It reupdates and yeah. builds a little. Well, graph. I think it's it, it helped because we had a question with uh, uh, someone whether the Mac was even seeing the device, so this could certainly help you determine that. That's right. Yeah. Or if the batteries are shot or whatever. Yeah. All right. Uh, with that, if you want to write into us, if you have a question, if you have a tip, if you have a comment, maybe a solution for our various geek challenges, feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the email address to use. And this time, Dave, I'm going to agree with you 100% in that it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. So I will make the agreement 300%, adding your 100% to my initial 100%, and it is 300% feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You can send us email there, you can send us pictures, you can send us screenshots, videos, and even audio comments work just fine to that address. In fact, you can record an audio comment with the Voice Memos app in your iPhone and send it straight to that address, and we will get it, and it sounds actually, tends to sound pretty great when you do that. Yeah, it, but speaking of audio, you know, there's another way you could use audio via this device called the telephone, <laughs> whether it be an iPhone, a landline phone, which I think I'm going to ditch very shortly due to a battle with AT&T. They're really flubbing the whole customer experience thing with me, Dave. But uh, follow me on Twitter to learn about that. But anyways, number one, 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. And yes, Mr. Braun said you can follow him on Twitter. You can find John on Twitter at John F. Braun. You can find me at Dave Hamilton. You can find the show and uh, the links to when the show notes are up and the AAC is up and all of that. Follow Mac Geek Gab, And you can also follow Pilot Pete. Uh, he's still following us around, but uh, but we keep getting out of sync. I actually ran into him the other day, but uh, but he's never around when it's time to record a show, unfortunately. So uh, and he's Pilot Pete, and then of course Mac Observer shows you all the headlines from Mac Observer. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's even more. Facebook.com/slash MacGeekCap is right. our Facebook community, which is is growing by leaps and bounds. No, I it's, think it's, it's leaps growing. And bounds. Yeah, there you go. 
Awesome. All right. Uh, and then you can, of course, see the show notes at MacGeekab.com. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 Plus desktop speakers from Audio Engine. MGGTEN is your code. BB Edit from Barebones Software. Text Expander from Smile. And, of course, Gazelle at Gazelle.com to sell all your old electronics. I'll be back with media. Folks, I am on vacation next week. Happily feeding off to the Caribbean. You guys have fun. You take care of yourselves. And most importantly, don't get caught. Made up. Have a good week, John. Have a good week, everybody. You too. Thanks.